0: Well, good morning. morning. Jeff has graciously allowed me to speak today and next Sunday, so we'll be getting a break from Revelation, because I'm not quite ready to talk about that yet. <laughs> so, all right. Well, let's pray. <clears throat> well, Heavenly Father, we just uh, we just want to thank you, Lord, for... Um, Lord, for all that you do for us, we want to thank you, Lord, for, uh, for just the gift of your son, and for the gifts that you just continue to give your children. So Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit come and just prepare our hearts and our minds as we dive into your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Intermission. Okay, so, (laughs) the title of this morning's sermon is This Is Not A Tithing Sermon. This is part one. Okay, I wanted to start off this morning by making one thing clear right off the bat. This is not a tithing sermon. Okay, but it is on giving. And I know what some of you all are thinking. Go figure, the youth pastor who's trying to raise money for a mission trip this summer is giving a sermon on giving. (laughs) But that's not what, I'm, uh, it's not what I'm talking about. When I refer to giving, I'm speaking in a very general sense, okay? I am not only talking about your money, but your time and your energy as well. And that's why I titled it this way. Because when we talk in a general sense about giving, our minds kind of default to thinking about money, right? Especially in the church. So, um, but when I mention giving, I want you all to think more along the lines of giving of yourself, okay and that includes your money but it also includes your time and your energy so be open to see what area God is speaking to you about okay alright so that being said this first part we'll be discussing today won't primarily be on giving of your time money or energy but it will mostly be talking about like all of that will be mostly talked about next Sunday today we're gonna be focusing more along your identity okay and so instead of talking about the actual act of giving, we will talk more about your mentality and your motivations behind your giving. And I didn't really plan it this way, but the more I prepared for this sermon, the more God kept bringing me back to looking at who we are when we give. It's kind of like laying the foundation to a house, the house being the actual act of giving and the foundation being your identity, right? So any builder will tell you that the foundation is the most important part of the house. It may not be the prettiest part, and it you know, really isn't even seen in most houses, but if your foundation isn't built right, then the whole house is in danger. So in the same way, if you don't understand your identity or your mentality behind your giving is a little screwy, you know, that being your foundation, then the actual act of giving being your house is going to be all messed up, and that's even if it looks good on the outside. So, because whether it looks good on the outside, you know, it doesn't really matter, it's whether the house will hold up when it's put to the test by the storms that will come later, that's important, right? So, so now that we've uh, kind of set the tone for what this first part will be, uh, let's look at our first set of scriptures for today. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 33. And if not, then you can follow along on the screen. And this is from the New American Standard Version. Jeff, what did you do? I'll point to you, Jared. All right, there we go. So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 33. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Try. There we go. And why are you worried about your clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So this is in the middle of Jesus giving his Sermon on the Mount. And he bases this whole section on worry off of this one principle of you cannot serve both God and money. He says, for this reason, don't worry about this, this, and this. Well, what's the reason? He's saying that you have to choose between pursuing God and pursuing wealth. And in this world, wealth means security, right? Wealth means your ability to be self-sufficient. And when you pursue God, it's implied through this text that you will also have to trust that he will provide many basic needs for you, both material and spiritual. And that's the way we were meant to live. We weren't created to become self-sufficient we were created to be god dependent now don't be like some people who think that jesus is saying you can't be rich or have a lot of material wealth and also serve god cuz that's not true i mean that you see that you know there's plenty of people who are examples of the complete opposite of that money doesn't just stand independently in opposition to god this is about what you devote your life to. Because if you focus on obtaining more money, then that desire will act like a vacuum sucking up all your other resources, being your time, your energy. You know, whether it be through your time at work or what you spend studying or just what occupies your mind, it'll, it'll suck all that in if you're constantly trying to pursue gaining more wealth. Your whole life will be eaten up by this desire and your relationships in general will suffer. Your relationship with God being the most affected. I think that the point Jesus is trying to get across is that having wealth isn't a bad thing by itself but if your MO every day is to obtain more wealth then you aren't going to be able to properly carry out God's will for your life because you won't need to trust him to provide for you. You will have your wealth to do that. You will be devoted to one and not care about the other, and that just shows how much time and energy you can spend trying to get more and more, right? So much so that God says you won't have the capacity to follow him and devote your life to that. Those are two roads that don't run parallel. One is going to take you away from the other. So you can either serve money and at the same time your desire to become more self-sufficient or you could do the opposite, you can focus your time and your energy on putting your trust in a loving father and forfeit your mission of obtaining wealth and material riches now any Christian will say, oh yes, here, here, amen to that I will fix my eyes on God exclusively and keep my eyes from the lust of money (laughs) but they end up pulling a Peter, and, you know, the next day they wake up and they say, they kind of realize the risk that's involved in doing that, and then they end up doing the complete opposite of what they had originally said, right? You know, Peter said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you even to death, and ended up the very next day denying that he even knew him, that's what I mean by pulling a Peter, because Peter did a lot of weird stuff, and (laughs) probably thought I should clarify Or worse than doing the complete opposite, even, is trying to have a foot in both camps. You know, so you try to have that, I'm pursuing wealth, and I'm also serving God kind of thing, and you end up getting stretched, and you end up in the middle ground, not gaining the material possessions that you want, or having the relationship with God that you want. So, we'll end up being a redeemed people, living unhappy, unfulfilled, and unfruitful lives. And there are Christians living this way every day, especially in this part of the world. You know, especially in America, where material wealth is just kind of put in the forefront there. So this, abil- this inability to balance God in the pursuit of wealth is just one of many factors that split people into two categories. And that's sons and orphans. Orphans, in a biblical sense, do not know their Heavenly Fathers intimately. They typically hold him in an ill light. They will fear him and certainly don't trust him fully. Sons, on the other hand, know their father and know his voice. They trust in him to provide and care for them according to his will and purpose. They have a much more healthy relationship with their father than orphans do. And if we don't understand our identity and relationship to God as our father and provider and us as his sons, then our giving of whatever resource it be will be resentful, half-hearted, and even damaging in our relationship with God. So let me take a quick second to clarify something. I'll be using the term sons in a gender-neutral sense, okay, in this context. Jeff recently clarified in one of his sermons how becoming sons of God actually meant a whole lot more to the women who understood the context of this period than if they were to say you know you become daughters you know, because in that time daughters really that, that wouldn't change anything but being sons meant you know carried a lot more weight so um so ladies you are included when i speak about orphans and sons and men have to be part of the bride of christ so it evens out So, you <laughs> understand okay so your heart behind giving So your heart behind your giving is much more important to God than the actual act of giving itself. Both orphans and sons can give, but they give out of completely different mentalities and with different motivations. Okay, your identity will influence how you give. You are either giving as an orphan or as a son. And the key is knowing which one you are before you can even think about becoming a more generous person. All right, you got to make sure the foundation is right before you start building a house. So a friend of mine told me about his experience in adopting one of his sons who was an orphan in China. And I want to use this story to help show how an orphan thinks in relation to their identity and their giving. All right? So my friend adopted a, ch- a f- child from China named Max. And uh, after he got back, I sat down with him and he, he you know, was telling me about all the experiences. And Max, as you can imagine, was having a lot of difficulty... Adapting to this part of life, I think he was like, he was really young, you know, five or six or something like that. I think maybe even older, which would only add to it. But, um, but he was having difficulties, and one way was understanding how his new father would provide food for him. My friend said that uh, one day he discovered that Max was hoarding food in his room. You know, he would store up the food that was being given to him each and every day, and like, you know, hide it away and come to find out this is actually a common practice among orphans. Many orphans grow up on the streets not knowing where their next meal will come from, so they learn at a very early age to ration their food out of fear. And the children in the orphanage do the same thing. You know, and I, I guess, you know, orphans will steal from each other, and it's kind of that same fear-based mentality. So they live their whole life in fear of not being provided for. And this is what Max was doing. Max never had anyone to trust except himself. So yes, he had been adopted. He now had this house that he could call home, a group of people he could call a family. But he had been an orphan his whole life, and he had never known a life outside of that fear. And he wasn't about to break that habit over this man he didn't really know yet called father. So of course, over time, Max learned to trust his dad and gave up this habit of hoarding and rationing food. After living day in and day out in close relationship with his new father, he found that hoarding food was unnecessary. His father would always provide what he needed. Is that not what is supposed to happen to us when we start our relationship with our Heavenly Father? We become a Christian, and then we read these verses of how God provides even for the birds of the air, How much more so will he provide for us his children? But we have grown up as spiritual orphans. We've never depended on this new heavenly father before, so we continue to run on our own strength and depend on ourselves as sole provider. Well I went ahead there. This is what you're supposed to say. So we run on our own strength. And, you know, God doesn't blame us for behaving this way in the same way Max's father didn't blame him for, you know, storing up food. He knew where he'd come from. He knew the circumstances. And God knows the world that we live in and the enemy who comes to do three things, you know, kill, steal, and destroy. And all of those things involve us losing something that we treasure. So God understands all too well why we would act this way. But just as Max grew out of his orphan mentality... As he grew closer with his father, we're to do the same. And unfortunately, many of us don't see God as father. So in turn, you know, we don't understand him as provider either. We don't allow him to function in that role. Father is too intimate and close of a word. Lord, ruler, king, and God are much more fitting terms that keep him out of our space right? We are comfortable in relying only on ourselves. We want to be in complete control of our possessions and resources, viewing God as God, but never as provider. So how did Max learn to trust his new father as provider? Well, he experienced his father providing for him daily, right? You know, my friend didn't just speak to him and say, you know, I'll, I'll give you all these things. Max experienced it. But Max didn't really have a choice and you know, kids usually don't. I mean, if they have parents, then their parents provide, either out of love for their kids or penalty of the law. So, you know. But God allows us to put Him in whatever box that we choose. You know, yes, He is our Father and our provider, but he allows us to exclude and ignore any aspect of him that we don't want to see. You know, in the book of Malachi, God tells the nation of Israel to test him in his ability to provide for him. You know, to test God as provider. Now, God is also gracious, but he doesn't want us to, like, test that. You know, he doesn't say, go out and sin all the more so that you can see how gracious I am, because that would lead us to ruin. And I think that You know, the fact that this is the only part of God's character that he tells us to test. You know, Jesus even says, don't test God, but, you know, this is the one area that we can. The fact that this is the only part just goes to show how much he wants us to see him as this, you know, as provider. You know, many of you have heard me give my testimony, and the first words I ever heard God speak to me in that car were, I am right here where I always have been providing for you and your family. You know, the first thing that he said, the first part of himself that he revealed to me. You know, it is important to see God as Lord. It is important to see him as ruler and king. But those titles lack intimacy. He also wants us to see him as father, savior, and provider. Okay, so some of you are thinking, Mark, you said that this isn't a tithing sermon, but it is on giving, but you're also talking about our identity, and there's providers and orphans and sons and all this stuff. So I know i kind of been jumping around, and it's not really, you know, may not make sense yet. But here's the point, all right? If we don't see God as Father, then we won't see him as provider. And if we don't see God as provider, then we will give his orphans. So it's a chain reaction that gets down to the foundation of how we give. If we don't see God as father and provider, then we, like Max, will do one of two things. We will either get caught up in self-preservation and spend all of our time and energy and money trying to control what we view as ours, and giving of ourselves won't even be on our radar. Or if we give of ourselves... We will do it in the most reserved, cautious, and safe fashion possible. Orphans live in constant worry about providing for themselves. and Many people, many Christians, live every day in this orphan mentality. Giving of themselves is the last thing on their mind because they're too concerned about preserving or growing what they already possess. And if you're a Christian and have this orphan mindset, then you will give but just enough to, in your mind, make God happy. You know, giving to make sure that God will s- still like to you, because you think that that what is what determines you know God's approval of you. It won't be a lifestyle; it'll be a monthly bill that you, you know, keep pay to keep the collector happy. And that is a very dangerous way to live. It touches on the greatest conflict that has existed between the time before Jesus came and the time after he came, and that is living under God's law and living under his grace. Before Jesus entered the scene, people lived under a covenant with God that required them to do a series of things, you know, to obtain his favor and his forgiveness, and, you know, the people chose this. This wasn't God's original intent for them. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, that system no longer applies to us, We are favored and forgiven through Christ alone, and no amount of good deeds, or in this case generosity, can earn you any more credit with God. In fact, it's insulting to him. Through Jesus, you become God's child, and that's what makes you accepted. Giving to try and make God like you more is a futile and dangerous pursuit. I go back? I need to put this thing down when I do something. <laughs> All right. All right, so giving to make God happy is, is a, or make God like you more, is futile, right? And if you are giving more and more to try and earn your approval with God, then you are rejecting the finished work of the cross and the gift of life through Jesus' death. It's living under God's law, not his grace. It's being a slave to your works, not free in him. It's behaving like an orphan and not living like a son. And unfortunately, it's that giving that will play a major role in the false sense of security that the people will have when they come to the end of their life and they say, Lord, Lord, look at all these great things that we've done in your name. And they'll say, depart from me because I never knew you. He said, you did everything except believe that my son's death was enough. It's dangerous. So Jeff, imagine if Jarrett walked up to you when he was younger, all right? And he says, dad, I, (laughs) he says, dad, I, I spent my time this afternoon cleaning my room and washing the dishes, right? And you'd say, oh, son, you're so, because is how you talk. You'd say, oh, son, you're, <laughs> you know, I love you, my boy. You're so great. And, but then he interrupts you and he says, so do you love me now? You know, or he, he says, so I, I went out and I spent my allowance to, you know, get your motorcycle washed and your, your oil changed and everything, dot, dot, dot. Do you approve of me now? You know, as a parent, think of how depressing that would be for you to have your child come up and do these things for you, you know, good things, but with the motivation of earning your love. How quickly would you want to end that mentality in them and affirm in them that they are loved and accepted out of their relationship with you, not their actions? You know, their relationship being your son or your daughter. I assume that would be a very direct and a very clear discussion you would have with them. You would wonder, how on earth did my children come to think this way? And the sad thing is, is that God knows our hearts and he knows our motivations. He knows if the unspoken question that we ask with our actions is, God, do you love me now? Now that I've done this or this or this. One of, if not my favorite proverb, Proverbs 16.2, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. In the passage we read at the beginning, Jesus tells us not to worry about our lives. tells us not to be concerned with the essentials for life because God already knows that we need all of these things. An implication there is that the life God will call us to when we move our identity from orphan to son will only work if we trust fully in God as our loving Father and faithful provider. Trust is an essential ingredient. And trust requires you taking risk. This new life isn't about giving the right amount or really just giving, period. It's about a, lifest- a new lifestyle. It's not about giving as an action. It's about generosity being a part of who you are now as a child of God. He calls people to give up their life so he can live through them. And this life is not for the faint of heart, but it's the only life that there is. We're going to go over this more in depth next week, but I wanted to close today with A video. And uh, this is this is a video that shows what happened to the lives of a couple after they went from an orphan mentality to a son's mentality, and what it did to their family. It shows how when they gave themselves over to God's will for their lives, God called them to a life of true kingdom giving. And this is the story of the Van Holt family, and this clip is taken from the documentary Father of Lights. It's kind of long, but bear with it, because it's an interesting story.
1: It seems the father is trying to speak to all of his children. The real question is, what do we do when he does? The answer to that question, what happens when children actually listen to their father, holds the key to a life and a world transformed. We traveled to China to meet an incredible couple whose lives were radically altered after an encounter with the father. Their names are Mike and Dina Vant Hall, and Mike joined us for a brief stop in Taiwan to film an enormous gathering that was happening there. Mike and Dina had encountered the father through this man, Randy Clark, and Mike wanted to see his old friend again. And once more, God reminded me that those who truly seek after him Will encounter his love as well as his power.
2: In Jesus' name, renew him, refresh him, fill him with freshness, baptism of love, baptism of power. Let me begin to see miracles, not just tears. In the name of Jesus, creating miracles
0: in
2: the name. He was vice president of a bank, and they had a big home, and nice cars, and and just everything, and. Uh, they were nominal, though. They were lukewarm. They were the last ones in, set in the back, and the first ones out when service was over. I, I was preaching in the morning. I think it was on Sunday morning. I think. I don't remember, I'm not sure, but I said something in order. If you really want to, if you want to be touched by God, come to the front. And I said, "Come, Holy Spirit," and people began to fall over the church, and they fell. But when they got up, they were radically changed in that short amount of time with the Spirit on them. Mike came just shortly afterwards and was weeping and told Tom I can't be vice president of a bank anymore. Um, you know even though I'd say we were, hap- we were happily married and had um, a good family and, and um, were living a good life, you know there was still uh, an emptiness in us, especially in me, that was uh, not being fulfilled uh, in my Christian walk.
3: We both were raised in Christian families and so we believe the Bible, but we had none of it in our life, and we were we would say, "Where's the more? You know, if this is really what it seems to be, where, where's the fruit? Where's the more? Where, where's the passion? Where's the love? They say you have to love God. How do you love God? I don't know how to do that. You know, I I can accept Him and say a prayer, but how do you how do you fall in love with God and? you know what does that mean and what if you don't feel it can you still be a Christian can you still you know and we we would have these conversations and so that night reminds me of the night that I met Mike that's what I I kinda it's the same kinda feeling that I had it was like meeting Jesus for the first time
2: you know what the Lord did uh, you know on the outside looked you know innocent enough and casual but was very deep So, it is hard to describe, you know, what happened in, inside, you know, Dean and I. And, you know, there was just such a... an exchange where he, he took things, you know, from me. Uh, you know, that, you know, I didn't deserve the forgiveness and... and the deliverance, but things were just removed instantly. and. Just replaced with radical
1: love. Well, that radical love would propel them to sell everything and fly to China with their three small children and two suitcases. No plan, couldn't speak the language, but God told them to go and they trusted Him.
3: So we just said, if He's asking us to go, then we're just going to go. And so we sold our house, and we gave everything else away, and uh, we just came with clothes, and we moved here uh, with our three children. They were 18 months, and five and eight at the time. And you
1: had no home. We, no house.
3: No house. We we lived in a hotel for three days, and um, found an apartment, and um, was very interesting. It was. It was, it had rats and it had raw sewage and we didn't know anything. And I remember walking in and it was everything up until that point for me, it was very exciting. It was, even though there was a lot of sacrifice involved, but even the sacrifices were such a joyful sacrifice. It was like, it was all I had to give and I was just so happy to give it. But at that moment, as I stood in the apartment and I watched my watch my children come in for the first time and see their new home. And I thought, what kind of mother does this to her children? You know, we had a beautiful home and a beautiful family. And it hit me, you know, like this is real. You know, this is this is real. And I saw their little faces, you know, just try and do the best that they could and and I just thought, oh my goodness, you know, what have I done?
1: What they had done was put their lives completely in their father's hands and either he would have to come through for them or they were in big trouble. But then Dina forged a relationship with some of the local orphanages and miracles began to happen and doors were opened for them that never should have been opened and they began to receive children from these orphanages that no one else wanted, which, in just a short time, has led to this. Welcome to the home that love built. With hardly any regular funding and month-to-month financial miracles, Mike and Dina care for lame, blind, and mostly unadoptable children through their ministry, Loaves and Fishes. They give them an education, care for them, and pour out as much love as they physically can on children no one else deems worthy of love. These children are us, broken, unwanted, overlooked people. But the father shines through two people and suddenly the child's purpose is made clear. All that is expected of these kids is that they receive the love lavished upon them. Here's just one example of the more than 40 children Mike and Dina care for. This little boy was kidnapped from his parents and shipped into the country in a box for three days. The lack of oxygen gave him permanent brain damage.
3: So, we, you know, with him, we have we feel really honored to have him. We always, you know, think, what if our child was stolen? We know and heard so many stories of people who've had their children stolen from them. and what would we want you know of course we would want to find them but if we couldn't find them we would want somebody to honor them to love them to care for them and um so we counted a great privilege to take care of him in in the place of his family
1: when i asked dina why she does this for children who won't be able to give anything back i received an education as well
3: right well We believe that God is the giver of life and that if he chose for a life to be created that there's purpose in the life. And um, these children have taught us more than probably some of the greatest teachers and preachers of our time about love. God has used them to change the way that we think, the way that we feel, and we're happy and holding them I feel God's presence and holding them I feel his pleasure and holding them and loving them even when they die in my arms I feel his grace why would he choose us to do this I don't know but there's this knowing that we're in the center of his will for our life and we know we're only a piece of the puzzle you know we're one piece of this amazing puzzle that he's created. And we just want to do our part well.
1: Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you.
0: Loyal husband and wife loving father and mother, self-sufficient and successful in business, devoted churchgoers, but still orphans. They saw that God calls us to much more exciting lives than what, if we're honest, most of us are living. You know, myself at times included. They sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and saw that God would provide the rest but they first had to know him as loving father, and then trust him as faithful provider. So my question is, are you an orphan? Do you trust God as your provider? Do you even know him as your loving father? Are you trying to have a foot in both camps, trying to serve God, but money as well? is your giving done to earn God's love and his acceptance. So we're going to move into our ministry time now, and I, I want the worship team to come back up, if they would. And this is a time where we can you know, reflect on what God is uh, you know, maybe saying to you throughout this message and minister to one another, you know, or just take this time to worship a little bit more. And if you want to sit and just think on it, then do that. If you feel God-prompting to, for you to give a word to someone else or to go and pray for someone, then great, you know, go and do that. But I encourage you to take this first part and to uh, talk to God and see where you stand on this topic of your identity. Some of us have fear of trusting God as provider. Well, he wants to deal with that. You know, and... Others are feeling dry, wondering why, even though you do all the good things and all the right things, your relationship with God still seems lacking or distant. Well, you know, you're missing the more that the Van Holes talked about. Well, this is the reason why. You know, Why? Your foundation isn't right. Now let's relay it. So uh, I wanted to just close, though, by uh, speaking these, these words over you. This is Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. You know, we're adopted as his sons. Amen? Amen. All right, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask that your Holy Spirit come now and just fill this place, Lord. I want to thank you, Lord, for the work that you are doing in in relaying our foundations, Father. Even if it means destroying a, a house that looks pretty on the outside, Lord, it, it doesn't matter. We got to get this right. So, Father, I ask that you just continue to do the work that you are here, Lord, and Help us to move into this uh, this mentality. From orphan to son. From slave to free, and and getting out of the old law that you uh, that you never wanted us to live in in the first place. Help us to trust you as provider. And thank you for demonstrating just the ultimate gift, the ultimate gift-giving, Lord, of, of sending Jesus. I pray all these things now in your Son's name. Amen.